theory podcast with your host ben james today's intro music was good as hell by my friend lizzo um today we have a very special guest sydney delorean how are you doing sydney hey how's it going what's up i am so so, excited yeah i'm stoked for this okay so last week i went on sydney's podcast and we did a jeffrey epstein episode and then sydney was like have you ever heard of the Johnny Gosh case? And I was like, no, like, what the fuck is that? And Sydney was like, okay, I gotta come on and do an episode. So you want to give us a little bit of background on that? Okay, so the Johnny Gosh case is a kidnapping case that happened in Iowa in 1982. And the conspiracy theories around this case are insane. And it goes in every direction that every conspiracy theory, like it incorporates so many things. Um, I've been obsessed with this case for a long time because my friend Kai grew up in Iowa and he was a paper boy at the same time that this paper boy went missing. So this was a big deal to him. And uh, probably six, seven years ago, he told me about the case and I went home and it really like unleashed weeks of me reading about it and then we worked together and I would come to work the next day and be like and this and that um and yeah it's definitely my favorite conspiracy theory yeah for sure I found a um YouTube video of this girl doing a mukbang where she just ate like hella KFC and talked about it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I've got a little bit of knowledge on it, but I don't have any knowledge about the conspiracies behind it. All right. Well, um, get ready because yeah. I have a notebook of notes. Um, the queen of research. Uh, actually, I've really been slacking on my show because my guest hosts, such as yourself, have been doing the research for me. Um, and so this uh, got me back in my research boots yeah. And <laughs> I just, I, I feel it's such, um, because I love it so much, I wanted to be able to do it, ju- uh, do it justice. Yeah, yeah. Um, you want me to get into it? Yeah, just go ahead and get into it. Okay, so in late August 1982, um, prior to the kidnapping happening, a woman witnesses a man photographing this boy Johnny Gosh on his way home from school and she reports it to the police along with a license plate number Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, the police said taking photos isn't a crime and they threw away the license uh, number and no report was filed and this is like example number one how this case is an example of how policing has evolved Uh, Mm -hmm. Probably a lot of people have, uh, your listeners have listened to the podcast In the Dark that covers the Jacob Wetterling case. And one of the things you see in that podcast is how um, policing is an evolving science, just like 
I don't know, medicine. And so when you look at cases that are from decades ago, there's a lot of people saying, oh, the police fucked up or this or that. And it's just like, well, there was no protocol back then. They didn't know how to deal with these things because policing is, you know, it's not it's not perfect. You think of like, oh, the police know everything and they do everything right. And you're like, no, they suck as much at their jobs as like you do at yours. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Uh, From listening to like my favorite murder and from like the last podcast on the left, it shocks me at the amount of incompetence in the U.S. police system. Um, well, yeah, yeah, they don't know. It, it's You assume that someone, this is a total aside, but there is a difference between power and authority. And so police, we're told, are the authority on things. And the term authority means that somebody has like the experience and knowledge to make them be in charge. Um, but police actually have power, which is different power means that you are in charge it doesn't mean that you have the knowledge experience skill to lord over people and so in academics when they say oh this person is an authority on uh you know dinosaurs it's because they've done years of work and research to learn about the topic of dinosaurs but like police are not the authority they are they are the power yeah um and they they don't know what they don't know what the fuck they're doing, mm-hmm. um, so uh, so two weeks after this woman witnesses a guy photographing Johnny Gosh, um, it's September fifth, nineteen eighty two, and Johnny Gosh is out delivering papers for the West Des Moines, Iowa, uh, or sorry, for the West Des Moines Register. Um, which is the paper he works for in Iowa, and he disappears on his paper route. Um, Neighbors, his parents don't know. His dad usually goes out with him to deliver the papers, but the night before, he said, Dad, can I do it by myself tomorrow? And reluctantly, Dad says, okay, sure, whatever. And so he had gone out with his little dog, and... um, the neighbor starts, you know, calling Johnny's parents and saying, where's my paper? And the dad goes out and the dog was back home. He had gotten in through an open garage and the dad goes out and he finds Johnny's wagon. No Johnny anywhere around, but he Mm -hmm. thinks that's weird. Maybe like he went back home or went to see a neighbor. Um, And so the dad actually finishes delivering the papers because people are complaining yeah and then he goes back home and um he starts calling around to johnny's friends uh and saying is johnny over there where is he and no one's heard from him and then the parents call the police so that's crazy yeah so they waited until the dad finished the paper route and then they called all the friends before they called the police Well, and this was back in the day where we, stranger danger wasn't a thing. Um, People didn't know about kidnapping. Um, As this case continues, we'll see that the parents actually did a lot to change policing and media surrounding missing children. Because at this time, they just assumed if children uh, were, were missing, they were runaways or they were with a relative. 
Um, and the same thing happened in the Jacob Wetterling case because it, when you're an adult, if you're missing, you have to be gone 48 or 72 hours to mm-hmm. be considered a missing person. And that used to apply to children, which no. is insane. For real? Yeah. So at this time, the police tell the parents he can't be a missing person until he's gone for 72 hours. So they're slow to act. This is just how later in the 80s things change. But up until the early 80s, that's just how it worked. Like they treated children the same as adults. Um, Uh, I have this terrible story from back when I was working at one of my restaurants. Um, We had this woman. And her son went missing on the way home, but she was unable to contact the police because this was like right after Trump's election and she was an undocumented woman. So if she had contacted the police, she would have been deported at the time. Oh my God. Yeah, it was like terrifying for all of us. And like they did find her son the next day. He had just um, went to a, a family friend's house and like they didn't tell her or whatever. But it was, like, scary for all of us. Yeah, yeah, that's the horror. And that is and that is why predators will prey on uh, sex, sex workers um, or undocumented people because they're less likely to go to the police because they fear legal action. Yeah. Um, so it's bullshit. Um, so they kind of put together the series of events – Um, A neighbor had seen from his bedroom window that Johnny was talking to a man in a blue two-tone Ford Fairmont that had Nebraska plates. Um, Another neighbor was on the street, and I guess that guy in the car had asked Johnny for directions, and Johnny went to the neighbor, hey, can you give this guy directions? And the guy said, uh, like, it was kind of rude to the neighbor and then drove off in the opposite direction of the Mm -hmm. directions the neighbor had given him. So it's kind of sketchy. And before he drove away, he, he flicked the um, dome light in his car three times, which is weird. And like um, he was signaling someone. Yeah. Like he was signaling someone. And then um, another neighbor noticed like after gosh, talked to the guy in the car and that car drove away they noticed another guy kind of came out from between two houses and started walking in the same direction as Johnny. So like following him, Mm -hmm. but this is the naivete of America where they're like, this guy's just asking for directions. This guy's just coming out from between houses. Um, so, uh, and this was the eighties you said. Yeah. This is 1982. I feel like by that time they had kidnappings, right? Well, yeah, there had been kidnappings, but like, People didn't. People just didn't know that like strangers stole children and killed children and wanted to like assault children. Basically, we were so naive, okay. um, and like that's why yeah like because now like if a kid is missing for ten minutes, you're like where the fuck is my kid? Um, but back then there just wasn't a protocol. You just assume that your kid, because even when I grew up. I grew up in the area of stranger danger, but it hadn't fully been enacted. I was born in 1984. So I still was allowed to like ride my bike by myself to neighbors' houses, like to go yeah. see friends. Um, and so it was, you know, don't talk to people, don't take candy from strangers, but like be home, be home by curfew, basically. Mm-hmm. And so see, my parents. I grew- do it. 
Oh, my parents wouldn't know where I was for like eight hours. I would say, hey, I'm going to Michelle's house. But like, I didn't even have to call once I got to Michelle's house on my bike to let them know I got here safely. Like none of that. Yeah. See, I grew up in the era where we didn't leave the house. Like we didn't play outside. We stayed inside. Mm -hmm. But at school, they taught us about stranger danger on the internet as yes. opposed to like stranger dangers like kidnapping you they'd be like people on the internet preying on children um yeah which both are very real it's yes, yeah people change their tactics as technologies evolve i mean i even my parents told me one time i was playing in the driveway like just splashing around and a guy drove up and was like hey and tried to ask me something and then i started walking to the car to like be like what do you want Mm -hmm. And, like, my parents would make fun of me. They're like, we told you about Stranger Danger, and some guy rolls up, and you're just walking towards his car. Um, Oof. But, like, they didn't they didn't make it like, oh, you got to play in the backyard now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, they just were like, you're fucking ding-dong. Stop talking to strangers. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so that's crazy. Yeah, it's... It's just wild. It's a different time. That's why when you watch documentaries like uh, Kidnapped in Plain Sight, did you watch that one on Netflix? Oh, shit. Oh, Is that the Abduct one where um the dude was like fucking the husband and the wife at the same time? Yes. Yeah, I did see that one. And you're just like, how are these people so fucking stupid? But it, yeah. it was 50 years ago. That's how mm. they were so fucking stupid. Um, but like also that family was dumb as hell. Well, yeah. Because yeah, that they were super dumb. Yeah, oh, I can't even get into that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a whole nother story. Um, yeah. So, if you haven't seen that, if like anyone out there hasn't seen that documentary, it's on Netflix and it's worth two bong rips to watch it. Oh, I just could like every time I thought I've I've heard it all, and then it would, I'd just be like, no, yeah, no, like, there's <laughs> aliens. Like he was fucking the dad. Like, the daughter got kidnapped, and then she ran away. <laughs> like, it's so much. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh. Um, so, a couple months after Johnny disappears, um, he is spotted in Oklahoma, um, mm -hmm. and he yelled to a woman for help. He said, my name is Johnny Gosh. I've been kidnapped. Help, help me. And two men dragged him away before that no. woman could do anything. Yeah. Did she call uh, the police? She called the police, but they'd already dragged him away and she didn't get a plate number. And I mean, who knows? Like maybe he was just a kid who knew about the case and didn't want to hang out with his dad. Maybe it mm -hmm. really was Johnny Gosh. We don't know. Well, at this um, point, his face had been on the milk carton, right? Yes. So okay. he, be he becomes, um, well, actually in... So it was a couple months after the kidnapping in 1982 that that woman spotted him. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until 1984, and he becomes basically, there was one kid who had his face on a milk carton, and then that worked out well, so they did two more, and it was Johnny Gosh and this other kid, so he's mm -hmm. one of the first kids to be advertised as missing on a milk carton. Um, okay. And I, I remember I watched a documentary about like the start of the milk carton kids, and basically someone was saying, like, what's something that we can get into every home that people actually look at? And yeah. he goes, it's milk because you sit it on the table when you have your breakfast. Um, mm -hmm. So so that was smart. I don't know how many children that's helped find. I, I hope some. Yeah. Um, now we just have the Amber Alerts on our phones. 
yeah, I see them on the freeway sometime, but like on the signs, like the you know LED signs or whatever. But mm-hmm. the I feel like pictures help a lot. Yeah. Did y'all have the pictures in the Walmart store, or is that yes. like a southern thing? No, we have those. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do remember seeing those growing up. My laundromat that I used to go to before I started shacking up with a big dick. Zach Bird is um, that laundromat would advertise murderers that were on the run, and oh. I was like, "That's how you know you're doing a laundry in a nice place." Yeah. Um, <laughs> when the crane uh. machine has used toys and they are <laughs> uh, advertising for homicide suspects, and like the uh, windows have bars on them. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was sketch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, Johnny's mom, Noreen, becomes a big vocal advocate about um, the modus operandi of sexual predators. Like she's mm-hmm. speaking at schools, seminars, because she's hired private investigators. And what she believes has happened is he's been abducted into child sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. And so she's super vocal um about like these predators are out there we need to watch out for them um in 1984 there was a senate hearing on organized crime uh and she spoke to the senate about organized pedophilia Mm -hmm. and she started to receive death threats like because people did not want to hear this they're saying how dare you say these horrible things things like there aren't there couldn't possibly be sexual predators like why are you scaring our children um but she helped put the johnny gosh bill into law in 1984 and what it does is mandate immediate police response to reports of missing children yeah so that's good so it only took two years after the kidnapping of her son to change the laws because i believe when they called the cops when they knew he was missing it took them like 45 minutes to an hour to show up yes because they didn't yeah they didn't take it seriously Mm -hmm. they're just like we'll get there ma'am yeah and from reading the little bit that i did um what did you say his mother's name was noreen noreen she is the baddest bitch thus far like she was really out here doing the lord's work Um, yeah, she's amazing. Uh, she has really big curly hair and every Mm -hmm. so often my friend Kai, who is my friend in this uh, conspiracy theorizing, he'll text me and go, did they ever think to look in Noreen's hair for him? (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Oh, that's so mean. It is, but no, (laughs) hey, no one's looked. Oh Um, so cut to, um, 1984 in the summer, uh, one of the private investigators Noreen has working on the case, his name is Sam Soda, and he calls Noreen and says, there's going to be another kidnapping, second weekend of August, uh, it's going to be another paper boy from the south side of Des Moines. And so, lo and behold, August 14th, 1984... Uh, paper boy Eugene Martin is out delivering the Des Moines Register, same paper as Johnny, and mm-hmm. he vanishes. Wait, um, hold up. Somebody knew that there was going to be a kidnapping? Allegedly, this private investigator, Sam Soda, got a line saying, 
uh, there's going to be another kidnapping. And apparently Noreen actually contacted the local paper. The, like, she contacted the police. They didn't take her seriously. Like, oh, you have sources? What are you talking about? And she contacted the paper and they laughed at her about it. Because she's yeah. like, you got to put out this thing. Like, watch your kids, whatever. And mm-hmm. the, the local paper, the Des Moines Register, said, mm-hmm. you're a lunatic. And we're not publishing that. And then next thing you know, a paper boy out delivering the Des Moines Register goes mm-hmm. missing. It seems um, like Des Moines Register keeps coming up a lot. Exactly. There's certain mm. things that come up, like this Nebraska license plate we saw mm-hmm. and the Des Moines Register. Yeah, what so, is going on in Nebraska? Well, we'll get to that. Okay, I know Uncle, or no, I know Aunt Becky is from Nebraska, but that's all I know about Nebraska. Nebraska has some nefarious things going on uh, Mm -hmm. in the 80s. Um, So, yeah, this uh, paper boy, Eugene Martin, similar thing. He was spotted talking to a clean-cut man in his 30s. Conversation seemed friendly. And then neighbors aren't getting their paper. They call the parents. His bag of undelivered papers is found. And it's the same time of year, same paper. These kidnappings happened eight miles apart. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously something going on. Yeah. Um, in 1985, a dollar bill surfaced. And written on the dollar bill was, I'm alive, comma, Johnny Gosh. And three handwriting experts said that it looked like, that it was Johnny's handwriting. Yeah. So we have evidence to think Johnny's still alive. He's out there. Mm-hmm. He's trying to let people know that he's alive. But also um, my girl, um, Karen Kilgariff, she told me basically that, or she didn't tell me personally, <laughs> on My Favorite Murder, she said that um, basically handwriting analysis people are basically like con artists and they'll tell you whatever you want to hear. Like, well, yes. I don't, I don't know how true that is, but that's what I've heard. I it's that way for a lot of forensic sciences. So mm-hmm. that's where this case starts to get sticky because um are these things really happening? Are people taking advantage of Noreen because she is spending all of her money. I, I can't remember if there's like a Johnny Gosh fund. So but like these people for money are doing services for her cuz she's desperate to find her son. But Mm -hmm. are they taking advantage of a grieving mother? Yeah. Um, And that's something that comes up a lot. Like the most of the Internet is full of the conspiracy theories on this case. But then when you get to some of the more level headed people, they're Mm -hmm. like, this is a woman who she is destroyed by what's happened and she's desperate to believe anything. So these people can just be taking advantage of her. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is terrible. Like, fuck uh, people. Yeah, fuck people. And, like, I just can't. Um, Mm -hmm. So, in the fall of 1986, this guy named Wilbur Milhouse is arrested on child porn charges. Now, Wilbur Milhouse works at the Des Moines Register. And what his job is, is organizing distribution, which means... Okay, now we're really getting into it. Shit. (laughs) Which means he is the one in charge of all these little boys. And apparently he had a history of like child porn or child molestation 
before this happened of arrests. And the heart, it's really hard to find articles about it because, again, this is the 80s. Not everything was digitized. Mm-hmm. So, like, finding on the internet records of his crimes prior to yeah. this arrest is really hard. Um, there's a podcast series I haven't finished yet um, called, uh, I'd have to look it up. But they they did a 30 part series on Johnny Gosh and they like went and looked up the old articles on microfiche to find out, oh, he did have a record before working, before the Des Moines Register hired him. They hired him knowing that he was a sexual predator and then directly put him in contact with young children. Um, And so here he is. He's arrested. He has child porn. Um, He has... 2,000 phone numbers, mostly of young boys, and he's like, I, I needed the numbers. The, this is how I recruit boys for the paper, is I get I collect phone numbers from boys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we'll put a pin in Wilbur Millhouse, because he's a shitbag. Yeah. Um, what was his name? Wilbur Millhouse. Okay, fuck Wilbur Millhouse. Um, if he's I mean, still alive, I am sending all the bad vibes to his area. Yes. Um, so in that's in fall of 1986. Now, from mm-hmm. 1986 to 1989, there are five attempted kidnappings in Des Moines. Um, mm-hmm. Four of them are people delivering the Des Moines Register. And uh, one of them is someone 20 miles away. We don't know what they were delivered, uh, what they were doing. But that's that's a lot of. I mean, f- if just four of them are people delivering the Des Moines Register, that's insane. Yeah. Like, statistically, someone is preying on your deliverers. And so it would make you think something local, obviously, is happening because that's not a national problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, being a paperboy isn't thought of as being a dangerous job. Mm-hmm. Um, Damn, that is crazy. The yeah. fuck? <laughs> And so, like, that's why the case stands out so much to my friend Kai, because he was a paper boy at this time. Yeah. And, like, his dad always went on his route with him. Like, he was never alone, mm. um, which is smart. One of the kids in this, um, uh, in those attempted kidnappings was out. I can't remember if it was her dad or her big brother, but, like, they were like at separate houses when someone tried to steal it was there was one girl and someone tried to steal her and thankfully uh the brother or dad was able to run over and interject and the kidnapper like let go and and peeled out um because it's just so scary Mm -hmm. um in 1988 the goshes receive a letter believed to be from johnny and so they're still thinking okay he's alive he's writing us i can't i couldn't find the contents of that letter so i'm not i can't speak on that yeah but also at this point like what are the chances it's someone who's fucking with them yeah um because yeah when people are public you know in any way people torment them and come out of their their woodwork and taunt them and do weird shit mm-hmm. um okay so 1989 uh this the year is, of our lord the year of our lord when taylor swift was born oh is it really yeah <laughs> oh she's almost as old as me that never happens uh, <laughs> so uh in 1989 um the, the case gets wild. Yeah. So this guy, Paul Bonassi, 
who's in jail, he is convicted for molesting three children. And he is an inmate at a Nebraska prison. Uh, he's 21 at the time. He confesses to his attorney, John DeCamp, that he helped abduct Johnny Gosh. And DeCamp, his attorney, believed him. Uh, he met with Noreen and John, Johnny's parents. Mm-hmm. And um, Noreen believed him. John was skeptical, but went along with it. Um, Noreen said that he knew things that no one could know unless they met Johnny. Yeah. Um, and th- those things were that Johnny had a birthmark on his chest, uh, which actually it turns out was widely publicized. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a scar on his tongue. He had a lower leg scar and he had a stammer when he got upset. How um, do you get a scar on your tongue? I don't know. I mean, I have one from having my tongue pierced when I was seven. Yeah, 17. But I don't know how you'd get one otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably someone scares you and you bite your tongue real hard. I don't know. Probably. Um, So FBI and local police do not believe Benassi. Um, they don't, they say he's not credible and they never interview him. They're just like, he's a convicted child molester. He suffers from disassociative identity disorder. Like nothing he say says holds weight. We're not, for me, I'm like, if someone commits, confesses to a crime, you go interview them anyways. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're getting paid. Go interview them. Even if you think it doesn't matter, just so you can say you crossed your T's and dotted your I's. Mm -hmm. Um, but they don't do that. And the thing is that, um, Banasi was, okay, he's a bad guy. He's a child molester. He's mentally ill, but he was sex trafficked himself from a very young age. And so when you experience trauma, that's generally how people develop disassociative identity disorder is under extreme trauma. Um, so his, Paul Benassi's story is he was molested uh, as a child by a family member when he was like six and Mm -hmm. he told his mom and his mom said he was lying and ignored him. So then when he was older, like nine, he was molested again by someone else and he didn't go tell his mom and it really fucked him up. And he ended up basically falling in with like people who pimped him out. So he's still he's like. A preteen, a teen, he's still living at home, but like he's running with these pimps and stuff because he's like, he's fucked up. Like that's how he knows how to make money. He thinks his body can be used, whatever. And that is the the traditional trajectory of people who fall into sex trafficking is they aren't like kidnapped in parking lots. They are Mm -hmm. like from broken situations and they are easily manipulated by older people. Um, yeah, and it's far too often that victims are not believed by their own parents. Yeah, like I that... want to think back to the um the Larry Nasser case. Yes. Yeah. That and was, that girl who, when crazy. she told her parents, they were like, "Why would you say those horrible things about such a nice man?" Yeah, and he kept molesting her, like mm-hmm. over and over again. And that's <sighs> I mean that's just got to destroy a person. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's what happened to Benassi. And eventually he falls in with these people who 
Um, they're they're pimping him out. They're molestering him, and they get him to recruit for them. Basically, being like, "Well, we know all these bad things you've done, and like we have it on tape, so we're gonna report you to the police if you don't help us." And so, Banasi says, "Like I was used to kidnap other children mm-hmm. and to like basically break them in to initiate them into being used for sex." Yeah. Um, And what he says is like he goes, I was in that car when we took Johnny. My job was to hold the chloroform over his face. And then when we took him to another location, I was the first person to rape him. He's like, they told me they were going to kill me if I didn't do it. So I did it because like that's what I was trained to do. And there's not a lot of motive. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Trust me. I am. So excited to stop reading about this case. Um, But it's like addicting because like you just want to know what happened. Yeah, of course. But like Um, still. Yeah. Um, So Benassi, he also accused Republican activist and businessman Lawrence E. King Jr., uh, who was director of the Franklin Credit Union in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, he accused this guy, Lawrence E. King, of running an underage prostitution ring and mm-hmm. victimizing him from an early age. And Lawrence E. King, uh, he was the director of the Franklin Credit Union in Omaha. He ended up going to jail because he extorted like $40 million, um, from the bank. But he was widely accused of child sex trafficking, being involved in the Boys Town scandal, which was um, basically like a a male orphan home where children were molested. uh, Some say even murdered. It was like horrific. Oh, my God. And some people say, oh, my God, that never happened. But like there are some documentaries out there about like one was made for Discovery Channel and ultimately not aired and I found a copy of it years ago and watched it mm-hmm. and it is horrific um, yeah so because Lawrence E. King he you know volunteered and donated to this boys town mm-hmm. and um, Lawrence E. King also this boys town scandal kind of has ties into this congressional page scandal that we'll get to later yeah. where they were taking underage boys who were interning as pages at the White House or for, like, senators, and they would give them after-hours late-night tours of the White House, and these boys were molested. Um, so uh, when Benassi pressed charges against Lawrence E. King uh, for being used as a, as a sex toy... Um, yeah. The uh, a, a 1990 grand jury declined to charge King, saying that the accusations were clearly a cleverly crafted hoax. Um, and eventually, uh, Paul Benassi won like a civil judgment against King because King refused to respond to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was in civil court, not criminal. But King was sentenced to 15 years in prison uh, for. Uh, stealing the $40 million from the credit union. He was released in April 2001. It is believed that he uh, resumed work with the Republican Party. Okay. Um, 
And I should say that a prison guard says that Benassi had been studying the case. So a lot of people believe Benassi's claims, but mm-hmm. this one prison guard's like, he was studying the case. He didn't know these things. I don't know. So we don't know. Yeah. Um, hold Do on, you know what um, mental illness he suffered from? Disassociative identity disorder, which used to be known as multiple personality disorder. Okay. Um. And so he will, like, look down and, like, change characters and look up. And some people say that's not how that usually presents itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but he claims to be a victim of MK Ultra and Monarch mind control experiments. Mm-hmm. Um, this oh, guy. We got to get into that sometime. Oh, we're going to get into it MK on this episode. Ultra. Oh, it, yeah. For real? Yeah, that's why I'm like, this case goes into every avenue of conspiracy. Oh, shit. <laughs> it has it all. Did you um, listen to last week's um, episode? Um, The uh, one with Rob Love? Oh, no, the birds one. No, I haven't listened to the birds one yet. Okay, I um went to Area 51 the other day, and I rescued my alien clones. And oh. I found out that she was a drag queen named MK Voltron, and Ooh. she makes an appearance. <laughs> oh my god, I cannot wait! Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will. I will get caught up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, okay, so 1992. It's ten years after the disappearance of Johnny Gosh. Mm-hmm. America's Most Wanted airs an episode. Uh, about the case and on this case they are on this episode they interview and polygraph um paul benassi and benassi claims like i was with this guy emilio who was like ahead of the trafficker he was the one like driving that day Mm -hmm. and his description of emilio fits the composite sketches of what people say the driver in the car that flashed the dome light three times yeah they kind of look similar okay and Benassi claims uh johnny gosh had been held at a ranch in rural colorado he was Mm. branded as a punishment for an attempted escape and the brand he says these kids get is called the rocking x it's an x with like a curved line underneath like a rocking horse would have yeah um and uh so after this episode airs, kids from all over the country are calling in about the brand. And they're like, I have it, too. I can what prove to you fuck? I have it. Dude, I know. It gets fucking creepy. Um, um, was there any significance to the symbol? We don't know, like, what that means. I never found anything about what it means. But these people are, like, calling in and producers are, like going out to meet them and like they have the fucking symbol like they have it and it's not like a fresh scar that they watched the episode and then gave themselves a brand like yeah because you can tell like mm-hmm. brands take a long time to heal like these are like oh no that's an old scar yeah um and they I have, have a it. friend that has a brand oh yeah uh, uh, remember it, when it, scarification was a thing were, yeah were you a, oh jesus all these like gross people with gauged ears were doing scarification and i just mm-hmm. uh it's so gnarly it's so gnarly uh, i used to want to get it so bad back in my emo phase and i am mm-hmm. glad i didn't 
Yeah, I just, uh. as someone who, I get keloid scarring. So, like, when I have surgery, I have to get steroid injections at the surgical site. Otherwise, I get, like, it'll take, like, six years for a scar to finish, like, scarring. It just keeps, like, growing if I don't get mm-hmm. the steroid shot. Yeah. Like, so, as someone who gets keloid scars, the idea of, like, voluntarily going through that process and, like, having a wound, like, opened and reopened to make it scar like that, it's just, because mm-hmm. it, it, like, hurts and itches and it's miserable. Yeah. Um, uh, this will tell you how backwards I am, but I have this friend, this bitch's name was Miranda, but she <laughs> got a brand done at the flea market. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. It was like a tattoo shop in the back of the flea market. And the guy was like, I do brands now. Would you like one? And this bitch got like a deer branded on her ankle. <laughs> I can't handle that. That's my favorite thing ever. Oh, there's um, more. <laughs> come through she was, Miranda. <laughs> she was 14 at the time. Oh, my. I, and he doesn't care. Yeah, he didn't I, care. Whatever. She was like on the news. No. Yeah, because like her stepdad was like trying to sue the artist. Which I mean, can you even call him an artist? He's a backwoods person at a flea market giving tattoos and brands. Yeah, no, he's basically a rancher. That's yeah. what ranchers do. <laughs> uh, oh my god. God bless um, Miranda. She's on yeah. she's on meth now, so Oh, Miranda, come on. Um so yeah, kids say they have this brand, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> oh, hold on, I'm choking on some cinnamon from my coffee. Oh yeah, our listeners are gonna get some ASMR this episode because I'm eating a jar of peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> Just when I thought I couldn't love you anymore. Oh, I'm um, so fucking high. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, okay. So a little bit of backstory. I called Sydney earlier and she was asleep and I had already done my pre-recording joint and she didn't answer so I thought she was going to sleep for like another hour. So I went to my room and I ripped my bong like three times and then Sydney called and she was like, are you still ready to record? And I was like, yeah, (laughs) like let's go. (laughs) So here we are. We are doing the damn thing. Um, mm. No, I think it's best when you have a conspiracy theory this wild. Like, you gotta be stoned. Yeah. Um, so the kids are they're writing in and they're saying, I have this brand, whatever. And this runaway named Jimmy contacts Noreen Gosh and mm-hmm. America's Most Wanted. And he says that he was at that same ranch after Johnny Gosh was. Like, he corroborated everything Paul Benassi said and, like, is like, this is this is the place and Paul Benassi had said it's a ranch in rural Colorado there's an elephant shaped rock mm-hmm. um and yeah and uh oh and this kid uh wait how did th- it get there they were like bust or like no I mean the rock pl- how did they get to the rock no how did the elephant shaped rock get there I mean, I assume nature. We'll have Sad Baby back right in about what rocks look like in Colorado. Okay, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We have one. Out, we have a mountain out here. They say it looks like a camel. Uh, so <laughs> I don't. I don't fucking know. Um, and so Jimmy shows the producers like, yeah, here's my Rock and X brand. Um, yeah. And um, the producers of America's Most Wanted they take Jimmy and Paul Benassi. 
um, like they find the place. Uh, and Jimmy and Paul had described there's a chamber beneath the house where children were stashed, like in case police came by or whatever. And so America's Most Wanted takes them to rural Colorado. They find the house. Um, and it's exactly as that these guys had described like there's the elephant shaped rock here's the house like when they pull up Paul Benassi starts like crying he's like obviously this he's there's bad memories here yeah um they smash in this grate at the side of the house that leads to basically the chamber under the house it's like dug out so the house is held up by um like posts and they see there's just dozens and dozens of kids initials carved into the wood beams under this house yeah and so like fuck right so like this is this is how a good conspiracy theory works right there is enough evidence to corroborate the wild claims that you go well i mean maybe this is true the fact that these fucking dudes said all this shit and then people wrote in and said I got that brand too and then they go to this house and it's right there and um it's exactly as described and I think this house was rumored we're about to get to it yeah this house was rumored to used to belong to Michael Aquino who was a head guy at the FBI. What? <laughs> I can't remember if he was FBI or CIA, but he's a higher I mean, up. Yeah. He he was controversial because he was a member of the Church of Satan mm-hmm. and he started his own branch called the Temple of Set. And so we're dealing with the 80s satanic panic. Like Okay, was he guy- the good Satanist or the bad one? Well, the Church of Satan is the good Satanist. Like, this mm-hmm. guy was friends with Anton LaVey and um, whatever. But then he starts his own branch called Temple of Set. And the thing is, like, the Church of Satan does not believe in victimizing other people yeah. or uh, particularly anyone underage. So, like, they are very, very clear in their tenets that, like, you are not supposed to hurt people. Now, um, so um, Alistair Crowley, he was part of the bad Satanism, right? Yeah. Which isn't he, really Satanism. He, I mean, he, I don't know a lot about him. He wrote a lot about magic and ritual, but I don't know a lot about his belief systems. Mm-hmm. So I can't really speak on it. Oh, I'm getting my um, wires crossed. Satanism is good. And the yeah. occult one is the evil one. I I think so, but what do I okay. know? Yes, yeah, um, I really don't know. I don't know because there's so many different like beliefs, but like, yeah, Michael Aquino is associated with what we know as the good Satanism, okay, um, the type that like I believe in. So I don't, I'm not sure, mm-hmm. um, but uh, a family friend of the Goshes said that he was at a restaurant in Denver and he saw Johnny Gosh was here. Uh, scratched into the men's room wall. So it loosely collaborates that Johnny Gosh could have been in Colorado where this fucking house is. Yeah. Um, But by that time, his name was already on the Most Wanted show and, like, the story was out there. Well, it was before the Most Wanted show, but, yeah, yeah, the story was out there. Okay. So... 
I mean, who's to say? Has it is it been in the newspapers all the way to Colorado and kids are just fucking around? Because kids fuck around. Yeah. Um, like just because you see a name scratched was here doesn't mean mm-hmm. that person was actually there. Are you gonna um, get to the um package that the mother received? Oh yeah, that's not okay. until two thousand six. Okay, I ain't gonna bring it. The package? Yeah. Okay, I ain't gonna. The bring one it up, with then. the photographs? Yeah, I wasn't gonna say it, but like the picture she got in the mail. Yeah, that's not till two thousand six. Okay, shit. All right, keep going, keep going. Um. So this is still 1992. We're on the follow-up episode on America's Most Wanted. Okay. And Benassi shows the producers that he has these letters sent to him at prison from children all around the countries. And these letters, like, they don't look forged. They're written in different handwriting. Um, Mm -hmm. And the letters mention the initials JG, Johnny, and Emilio. So, like, all these players. Yeah. Um. And one of them says, the colonel has gone to Mexico and took JG with him. JG is back to blonde and had face surgery. And it is thought that the colonel that is mentioned in these letters, because it basically they all mentioned two main traffickers, Emilio, mm-hmm. this guy who's doing the napping, and yeah. this guy, Colonel, who buys a lot of kids who runs the ranch in Colorado. And it's thought that the colonel is Michael Aquino. Yeah. And um, that's also what happened to Gerard Way after My Chemical Romance broke up. What? He went back to blonde and had face surgery. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, so, and the FBI had pressured America's Most Wanted not to air this segment. And yeah. I don't know why, but they were like, don't air this segment. And America's Most Wanted is like, oh, no, we are fucking airing this. Mm-hmm. Ratings. Yeah. Um, in 1993, the Gosh is divorce. And there was just a lot of pressure in the marriage. And at a certain point, Noreen starts accusing John of being involved in the kidnapping. Like, because she is a little bit bonkers. Like, I'm yeah. not going to. But she is accusing John being like, well, maybe you were involved. Like, why didn't you go with him that day? And she claims that they had been getting, like, calls to the house in the weeks preceding it. And John would answer the phone and no one would ever be there, like, be on the other line. And she says the night before Johnny went on in his paperwork that... They got another call and John said he actually spoke to the other person and was like, all right, okay, okay then. And then hung up. And when Noreen said, who was that? John Mm -hmm. said, no one was there. It was another one of those weird calls. Yeah. She's like, well, why were you talking to him? Mm -hmm. But like, also, that's what I, if someone's on the other line, I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. No Mm -hmm. one's there. Bye. Not, Not to put anything bad on the father's name. But from my research, he kind of sounded like a dick. How, what, uh, what came across as like a dick? Um, well, I knew that like they got divorced and like every time the mother like had some new lead, the dad would be like, oh, that's fake. Like, she's just crazy. Like, we know our son's dead and like all that. Like, he didn't even want to believe that like his son was still alive. 
Yeah, I think, and who knows what happens in, when something this traumatic happens. Yeah. The chances are when most kids are kidnapped by a non-family member, they are killed within 24 hours, I think is what they say. Mm-hmm. And so, like, statistically speaking, the kid's fucking dead, right? Like, and that's yeah. what happened in the Jacob, J- uh, Jacob Wetterling case is the guy who was ended up committing those, like, he was kidnapping kids and killing them like you don't hold on to kids for a while mm-hmm. and it all seems so outlandish and i'm sure at a certain point the dad like it gives him mental peace to be like my kid's dead yeah like he's not being sex trafficked like he's dead we need to just put it to rest and the mom is desperately grasping at straws to believe that he's alive so like that mm-hmm. would create a huge division because people create their own narratives like whatever brings them comfort and so if the dad leans towards he's dead, mom leans towards he's alive, and, like, dad's like, can we please just, like, put him to rest? And mom's like, no, I got a phone call in the middle of the night that says that he's here. Mm-hmm. Like, and there were, like, they were getting nonstop calls and mail, and a lot of it was quacks and bullshit. So, like, yeah, the dad's just like, it's all bullshit. You're a fucking idiot, Noreen. Mm-hmm. You're being desperate. I don't know. Um, and Noreen also at a certain point she claims like that the dad was like going had a had a girlfriend who looked like her and so she said like she went to meet with this uh, she went to meet with uh, someone and they were like nice to meet you again and she was like I never met you before and the person said no remember John you and John came out and met with me and Mm -hmm. then she's like no that was my husband has a fake Noreen that he takes around yeah, I'm getting like heavy Joyce Byers vibes from her. I don't know who Joyce Byers is. Um, from Stranger Things. The oh, mom, where yes. she's like crying, holding the Christmas lights. Yes, that is exactly picture Joyce Byers with a perm. Yeah, that's what we're dealing with. Um, okay, so 1997, mm-hmm. Noreen claims that Johnny came to speak with her. And she says there's a knock on her door at mm-hmm. 2.30 in the morning. Okay, this is good. I do know this part. <laughs> it, this all creeps me out so bad. Yeah. So she says there's a knock on her door at 2.30 in the morning. She opens the door and there's this man on her stoop that she immediately knows is Johnny. And he's mm-hmm. with somewhere else. Like she's like, I instantly recognized him. But even so, he opened up his shirt to reveal his birthmark. Yeah. And she invites him in and they talk for an hour and a half and he's like, I'm in hiding. He at this point, he has long black hair and he's tan. And Mm -hmm. he says he's in hiding as a Native American um, because he's still in danger from the people that took him. And she says he's looking over to this other guy for permission to talk. And he's Mm -hmm. like, don't try to contact me. Don't tell anyone I was here. I just wanted you to know that I was okay." Okay, so the man that he was with, I saw, like, multiple conflicting stories. I saw a bunch of them saying that it was an older man, but I also saw some that said Johnny was with a younger boy at the time. Yeah, some people say, oh, he was with a kidnapper. It was, like, an older person. But at this point, Johnny is would be 27 yeah so i don't yeah though i found conflicting reports about that and then i also found conflicting reports where sometimes noreen says she immediately went to the fbi and had sketches drawn Mm -hmm. and then i in the documentary who took johnny 
it turns out she's testifying in court about something else mm-hmm. well years later and they ask her have you ever had contact with johnny since he was taken and then she says oh because i was under oath i had to tell them about what happened in 1997 yeah so i'm not sure okay um and some people believe like this did happen this is johnny he wants to let his mom know he's okay a lot of people believe that this was like a dream that she doesn't realize was a dream and like because there's here's this woman who's never let go of her son like believing he's alive Mm -hmm. so it, it would make sense for her to confabulate that he came to her and said, I'm okay. I'm in hiding. Don't contact me. Yeah. Um, Cause so people are like either he really came to talk to her or this was someone else who was fucking with her, which mm-hmm. is cruel. But like, what are the chances someone would do that and risk that she wouldn't call the cops? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or like more likely she never even woke up that night and this was just like a dream. Mm-hmm. Was it like the eyes that made her recognize him or what? Because it sounds like he completely changed appearances. Well, and in all these letters that these children have written, Paul Benassi, they talk about how he's a, how Johnny's a chameleon. Because he is kind of like a generic looking, he has the generic features that can help to like look like other people. Yeah. I, I assume it's different in person than in photographs. Like if it's someone that... You, I my mom's okay. Let me ramble in a totally different direction. My mom's uh her best gay friend Chuck, he was back in his hometown, and at this point, I want to say he was in his sixties, and he ran into one of the nuns that was his teacher in elementary school, and she recognized him. So he hadn't seen this chick yeah. in fifty years. Fifty years later, she's able to recognize this 60 year old man is this eight year old that she taught yeah and so it it must be in the movement in the essence like Mm -hmm. if you saw a photograph your maybe your brain wouldn't immediately go oh this is that person but there's just something yeah about the eyes and the movement that you go oh this is them i'm not i don't have that skill per se like i don't a lot of people they just all look the same to me i don't fucking know and i get so mad when people from high school recognize me i'm like bitch i lost 40 pounds grew mm-hmm. hair and got a nose job and you still recognize me i'm just i just not anything oh i didn't do enough yeah oh i hate seeing people from high school i literally it's, talk to two people and the rest can go fuck themselves that sounds about right mm-hmm. um because fuck high school but like um, i'm not here living my best life now because everyone who was mean to me is either fat on drugs or both so there is a um there is a joy. Listen, I like to think I'm a good person and I'm not petty. Mm-hmm. But when someone who is a fucking asshole to me for no reason, just an uppity cuz I was like I had bad I had like I shaved my head with like clippers when I was punk rock. Mm-hmm. So I had like bad hair, bad makeup, I was overweight, like so when people were like shitty to me just because I was a dump truck, mm-hmm. when I see them now and I'm a beautiful blonde podcaster and mm-hmm. they are just they they're they're just covered in bad tattoos and they've got the body of someone who's been an alcoholic for 30 years. I there there's a joy that I get from that. And I, yeah. I want to think I'm better than that. But I'm like, well, you got yours, bitch. 
No, I feel that. <laughs> and also nothing wrong with being fat. Like it's 2019 and like body positivity is everything. Yeah, but, like, but that's why I feel bad about those thoughts. But I guess yeah. maybe it's just because like I was so chubby when I was younger. And honestly, here's what you have to do to have a glow up. If mm-hmm. you're if you're 18 years old and you are chubby, just stay that same weight because mm-hmm. by the time you are 30, you're the same weight and everyone who is shitty to you for being chubby, they yeah. are bigger than you now. Mm-hmm. That's Just hold the same weight. Whatever you think is fat at 18, if you still weigh that at 30, you are the skinniest person in your friend group. Yeah. Like, um. and so, yeah, I'm just like, oh, you made fun of me because I couldn't find pants that fit right. Well, how's your shopping going? Yeah. You, you feel my pain now, don't you, <laughs> bitch? Yeah, I'm gay, so I can say this. It's like when other gay people are like being mean to someone else who's gay, they'll like call them the F word. And like they would never use that word like in regular sentencing or never use that word as a slur. But like if you're trying to attack someone and like you can use the word like you're going to say it, you know? Yes. Yeah. 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 So everyone try to be nicer to each other so that we don't have these stupid conflicts. But yeah. Um, also whatever you're doing that you get made fun of, just keep doing whatever the fuck you want to do because the people making fun of you are going to be humbled by life. Everyone's humbled in their own way. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? They gain weight, they lose hair, they lose teeth. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it's just the humbling happens. It just, some people, it doesn't happen till later in life. Like I was fat, ugly, had a bad haircut and gay in high school. And oh, now man. I have an amazing job and I run an Instagram empire. And That's like right. all these bitches are like working at McDonald's, like making my food. <laughs> <laughs> like go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. And um, I make, yeah. I do make food in my job. Like, uh, I have to justify all these things that I'm saying, even though these people were terrible to me and like said far worse things, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're because that you don't want to feel like you stoop to their level, but fuck, fuck the haters. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So in 1999, Paul Benassi he files his civil lawsuit against uh, Lawrence E. King, and King doesn't respond to the suit. So Benassi is awarded a million dollars in com- compensatory damages, but yeah. he never receives it. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So this is when shit really hits the fan 2005 Mm -hmm. we're about to get hella gay all right there's this guy named jeff gannon he is a white house correspondent for uh a news outlet called talon news Mm -hmm. and he from 2003 to 2005 he regularly attends press briefings um and at least four press conferences with george w bush uh fuck bush I just got to say that. Fuck George W. Bush. Oh, we're going to get into junior and senior because fuck both of them. Oh, yeah. So this conspiracy, it goes right to the top. Mm -hmm. So in January, on January 26, 2005, Jeff Gannon from Talon News asks a question of George W. Bush at a press conference Mm-hmm. And the question was so friendly and inaccurate. I can't, I wasn't able to look up what it was. I've seen footage of it before, but I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but he asked this question. It's super friendly and it's inaccurate that other reporters start to 
question his background like mm-hmm. how is this guy a fucking white house reporter he's an idiot yeah. and he's way too friendly with the president um and that's when it's discovered that talon news is a thinly veiled republican party tool and so basically it's a fake news outlet created mm-hmm. by the republican party to have softball questions lobbed at the president damn um and so it's discovered that Jeff Gannon attended like a two day uh, uh, journalism course. Mm-hmm. It was a $50 two day course and left with journalist credentials. Mm-hmm. So that's a scam. Uh, yeah. But also, maybe we should do that uh, and be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm a licensed journalist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that seems worth $50. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Jeff Gannon is also discovered that he used to be known as Jeff Guckert, uh, a.k.a. Bulldog. And if you okay. noticed, Johnny Gosh, Jeff mm-hmm. Guckert, Jeff Gannon. Ooh. But when he Let's was Let's leave named... this on a cliffhanger real quick. Okay. Because I really have to pee. So okay. <laughs> I'm going to give you the opportunity to plug anything you want for the next minute. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah. Yes. Um, everyone should listen to uh, my other podcast, Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality. Ben has been on it more than once. He's amazing. Um, at the time this airs, we have an upcoming episode with published author Lauren Malisi, and we talk about e-girls on that episode. Um, I'm pretty proud of the episode. I'm also proud of getting Lauren on the show because she is an amazing writer. I bought her book. It's called Final Girl. It is available for sale. If you find her um, on social media, Lauren Malisi, a.k.a. Motel Siren, you will find links to order her book. Um, She writes poems about uh, trauma, abuse. They are so dark and lovely. I guess a trigger warning, but um, she is able to articulate uh, the the pain and emotion uh, of being abused in a way that I am incapable of because despite talking a lot, I am not super articulate. So uh, buy her book, subscribe to my pod, subscribe to my other pod, Decency with DeLorean, which is quick 10-minute monologues about me and how you can be a decent human being such as myself. Um, you can also follow me at Sydney DeLorean. Uh, on all the uh, platforms, um, not all the platforms, just Instagram and Twitter. Uh, my personal telephone number is 646-778-7743. If you are associated with this case and uh, want to kill me, please don't. I'm not exposing <laughs> secrets. I'm just an idiot on the internet. Oh, you're Damn, back. Hi. You're really out here giving out your personal phone number. That's what we do here. Uh, I mean, I did give out mine on my Twitter. <laughs> if you want right, to give me did. a telephone call. Um, and also Matt I always, Farley did as well, right? That's been his shtick for like a decade. And um, oh, isn't that I really love it. his phone number. No, that's that is his phone number. He uses his real telephone number for mm-hmm. all of his business. So like for a decade on his website, on his CDs, on his social media it's had his real phone number and like mm-hmm. i met some kids when i went to his motern media extravaganza in danvers massachusetts 
mm-hmm. that had just like discovered him the week before and called him and he answered the phone yeah. and talked to them for a little bit. So they drove to Massachusetts from New York because mm-hmm. they're like, well, he answered our phone call. So we feel like we owe him to come see his extravaganza. And I'm just like, that's how you build personal relationships with people. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Uh, okay, are we... I'm doing calling me. <laughs> mom, stop it. We're talking about um, Jeff Guckert, a.k.a. Bulldog. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so, shit. Um, okay, she's good. Um, that... Okay. Damn, I'm trying to get back in the podcasting phrase, you know? Um, <laughs> I had this plan where I was going to do a bit on my show and contact Matt Farley and be like, what do you know about the Mothman? Like, you have a song about the Mothman. What do you know? <laughs> but. Yeah, he has an entire album about... Uh, the, he, has a, he has an act called the Paranormal Song Warrior. Mm-hmm. And he has, like, it's all songs about weird shit on that. Yeah, so, it sounds dope he, as hell. Yeah, he'll answer your call. That's kind of what he does. Yeah. Um, But, uh, okay. So... Jeff Gannon used to be known as Jeff Guckert, a.k.a. Bulldog. Mm -hmm. And Jeff Guckert, a.k.a. Bulldog, was an escort slash, in quotes, personal trainer who would charge $200 per hour for his discreet services. Yeah. Um, So. I am so sorry. This recording has been a shit show the past 10 minutes. (laughs) Why? Um, I just got a text from my exterminator. <laughs> oh, do you have to go? No, I can I can record while he's here. Um, y'all are just gonna get to meet my exterminator. He, yeah, um, that's fine. He was like, "I'm gonna come at three. Is that okay?" And I was like, "Yeah." And then he just texted me, and he was like, "I'm here. Like, you good?" <laughs> so, yeah, I'll have to step away. Um, okay. But I'll still be recording. Whenever I um. Uh- tell you just put me on speaker so my phone will record through your mic oh okay well i have you i have you recording into my board so i'll send you both files okay dope. i have like yeah i have my channel and your channel okay and i'm gonna edit all this out <laughs> yeah or maybe fine. i won't this will be what do they call it organic yeah well here, organic you, podcast listening <laughs> you go greet your exterminator i'm gonna run to the restroom and then we will meet back up yeah. Um So I'll, I'll just leave the phone running. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Um All right. So Jeff Gannon used to be Jeff Guckert, mm-hmm. now AKA Bulldog. He's an escort personal trainer making $200 an hour for his quote-unquote discreet services. So people are like, "We we don't know how the fuck this like former male escort was able to take a fifty dollar journalism course and now he's a White House correspondent, but it's and I not okay. He was like fucking people in the White House, right? Well, not as Jeff Gannon that we know of, mm-hmm. but maybe because like this is where people go. Okay, well, there's some sort of weird sex scandal happening at all times. Mm-hmm. Um. But he's removed from the White House uh, as a correspondent, and he resigns on February 8th. So this happened pretty quickly. If January 26th, people are like, who the fuck is this dude? And by February 8th, it's exposed who he is, and like he's removed from his post, and he resigns. Okay. Um, 
but uh, so this is this is how it ties into the congressional callboy scandal, mm-hmm. um, which happened in the uh, presidency of George Senior. And so when George Bush Senior was the president, this official, this White House official, was giving tours to teen male prostitutes, and this was orchestrated by uh, political lobbyist Craig Spence and Craig Spence. So he's orchestrating that white house uh, officials give after hour tours to teen male prostitutes. Mm -hmm. And then it was rumored that Craig Spence was preparing to admit publicly that he was doing this to blackmail high powered politicians. Like basically some Jeffrey Epstein shit. Like I'm going to get some dirt on you so that you'll do what I want. Otherwise I'll ruin you. Yeah. Um, and so it's rumored Craig Spence is preparing to admit that, you know, he's doing this. He's blackmailing high powered politicians. Um, however, Craig Spence committed suicide before going public. No. Um, yes. Is there anything shady behind that suicide or was it like pretty cut and dry? I mean, I would think it's suicide. I don't know. Okay. I didn't do a lot of research on that. But because like this is the thing about the Johnny Gosh case is once you get into it, it goes so deep into mm-hmm. like Boys Town, Franklin Credit Union, Congressional Callboy Scandal. Like mm-hmm. they all become linked that you're like, am I crazy or do, are these things all related? That's how I got um, with Scientology. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that is all related. Um <laughs> Or at least that's what the character Sidney DeLorean believes. Don't come for me. Yeah. Um, so retired, this retired FBI agent who's been working the Gosh case, he is 99% sure that Jeff Gannon is Johnny Gosh. Because, like, the ages line up and they think, okay, well, he's using his initials to signal that it's him. Mm-hmm. And coincidentally... Uh, an editor at the Des Moines Register who disclaimed a lot of Noreen's claims on what was happening in the case back in the eighties, his name, his last name was Gannon. And so they're like, Johnny gosh, followed the case. He became Jeff Gannon to like, give a nod to like, he knows what's going on. I don't know. I'm trying to follow this. So this is Johnny gosh became Jeff Gannon. Allegedly. Allegedly. Who was a male sex worker for the politically elite? Yes. So, well, Johnny Gosh allegedly became Jeff Guckert, a male sex worker, who then became Jeff Gannon, who was a White House correspondent reporter. So we know that Jeff Guckert and Jeff Gannon were the same person. We (laughs) know that. Is your wall just, like, filled with papers and red lines right now oh yeah oh yeah my well what is this this is my black glitter front notebook Mm -hmm. is just scribblings so so people believe that jeff guckert who became jeff gannon is also johnny gosh and they say this because they can't find a lot of background information on jeff gannon jeff uh whatever guckert and they're like that's because johnny gosh was trafficked he was trained to be like you know this male sex worker for the elite Mm -hmm. he became a male escort who then because he had his political connections through his sex work obviously became jeff gannon yeah um and this retired fbi agent who'd been working the case 
says he claims to have videotaped testimony from someone he won't say who mm-hmm. who admits as much like I, okay. got, I interviewed somebody in the know and they say this is Johnny Gosh um, so the day that the Johnny Gosh uh, connection became public was February 20th, 2005. Okay. So he's already been fired from the White House for being a prostitute who's not really a journalist. Mm-hmm. That happened on February 8th. February 20th, people start saying Jeff Gannon is Johnny Gosh. Well, later that day, author Hunter S. Thompson killed himself. Mm-hmm. And what is the tie in there? Well... <laughs> Hunter S. Thompson was rumored to shoot snuff films. Okay. And this is a claim that was supported by Paul Benassi, who claims that he was flown to Nevada. Uh, Paul Benassi says that him and another boy were flown to Nevada where they picked up a man, uh, a man named Hunter Thompson, and that all three of them were driven to a secret location where Paul Benassi was forced on tape to have sex with a younger boy mm-hmm. who was then murdered on film while this man, Hunter Thompson, filmed it. Is that what and, a snuff film is? It's like where someone yes. dies? Yes. Okay. And Paul Benassi described the location, the secret location that they were driven to, as like this wooded area, there was a giant statue of an owl, blah, blah, blah. Well, the things that Paul Benassi is describing mm-hmm. later when video footage leaked of what happens at Bohemian Grove. Oh, shit. I was about to say that. <laughs> he's basically, he was describing Bohemian Grove. But at yeah. the time, Bonassi is giving this report saying, oh, Hunter Thompson took us here, blah, blah, blah. This happened. No one knew. It hadn't been leaked yet publicly what bohemian grove looks like yeah damn i didn't even you're saying bohemian groves involved with this yeah this this goes everywhere what the fuck (laughs) so yeah so paul manassi who says that he was forced to participate in a snuff film at bohemian grove that was videotaped by hunter s thompson well the same day that this white house reporter it becomes publicly uh claimed that he is this kidnapped boy is it a coincidence that Hunter S. Thompson kills himself that day? This man who has rumors swirling that he is um, has shoot shot snuff films, blah blah blah. And there was some other like weird shit where like this guy who used to f- uh, photograph uh, sex parties that the Franklin Credit Union would have. Mm-hmm. So the Franklin Credit Union is run by a Republican politico. And he would have these parties where um, all the high-end officials would come and there would be kids hanging out. And it would all seem kind of above board, like people are drinking. If you wanted to do drugs, you had to go upstairs. But then at a certain point in the evening, as people started to go home, people in the know knew you stay behind. And that's when you actually get to have sex with the kids who were hanging out at this party. Yeah. And so this guy was a photographer at those parties and he claims listen i was told you shoot things because we use this in blackmail like Mm -hmm. i'm not proud of what i did but i was on the payroll to photograph these parties whatever Mm -hmm. and so 
this guy claims that he was approached by Hunter S. Thompson back in the 80s saying, hey, you want to shoot snuff films for me? Like, you're a photographer. You're known for photographing these sketchy, illegal things. You want to come and shoot snuff films? And this guy was like, no, dude, that's where I draw the line. Mm-hmm. Like, politicians doing drugs, fooling around with underage kids. Sure, I'll photograph it. Yeah. I am not doing snuff. Well, he um, he was later arrested. Like, after he came forward with these claims, he was arrested on child pornography charges and put in jail. Okay. And so, like, that's how all these things tie in, right? Is, like, mm-hmm. they have dirt on you, so you can't come forward about what you know because you will end up in jail. Yeah. Um, Did you see but, anything about the um, Illuminati in your research? Uh, I mean, not explicitly. The word Illuminati never comes forward. Okay, because that's a big thing that the Illuminati will do. They'll, like, get these politicians and celebrities to, like, fuck underage kids and then kill them on video as forms of blackmail. Well, and um, that's basically what's happening, right, in this story. Because there was, like, this story that Justin Bieber was talking about, like, back in 2012. And this is, like, out there. Like, you can find him talking about the story where, like, these people at his record label, like, got him in a hotel room with a younger boy. And they were, like, fuck the boy and, like, kill him. And Justin Bieber was, like, no way. Like, I ain't gonna do that. And then afterwards, like, he didn't say this, but, like, his record sales went down and, like, his tour got canceled. But, like, now he's blowing up again. So it makes me think that, like, he did it later on, you know? Uh, yeah, or he eventually made it on his own terms despite what these people tried to make him do. Yeah. I don't know. I just, yeah, this is this is crazy. So I don't know. I it's It seems like it's no coincidence that this, this guy who can tie Hunter S. Thompson to snuff films mm-hmm. and then Paul Benassi, like, and Johnny Gosh together and then the when all these people are arrested because this guy who was photographing the parties back in the 80s he was arrested in 2005 when all this shit blew up Mm -hmm. and he's like so like people think oh did hunter s thompson kill himself because he knew what was about to come out or was he suicided yeah we don't know but it's weird that he killed himself the same day that the johnny gosh jeff gannon connection went public yeah um and so uh, that's 2005. Um, 2006 is when Noreen Gosh receives the package. It's left at her front door, and it includes photographs of teenage boys who are bound and gagged. Mm-hmm. Um, there are three boys uh, in one photograph bound and gagged. Another one is just a picture of one unidentified boy who has a rocking X brand on his arm. And Noreen believes that the boy in this picture is Johnny. Mm-hmm. And there's a third picture in the package that is a dead man with a ligature around his neck. Like he's been strangled. Okay. Um, and did the boy with the rocking chair brand, did he have the birthmark that Johnny did? You can't tell because his knees are at his chest. Okay. So you aren't able to see. Noreen Gosh believes that that picture is Johnny. A lot mm-hmm. of people dispute it because Johnny was a big kid at the time that he was taken. Yeah. Like he was only 12, but people are, he, people say he looked 15 or 16 because he was five foot seven, 140 pounds. So he was a bigger kid. Yeah. Like 
he looked and so people are like this kid in the pictures is too small to be johnny like but noreen believes that it's him mm-hmm. and she believes the dead man is one of the molesters okay. um, who was killed um and a lot of other people say it's a cruel joke that was played on her mm-hmm. or uh you know whatever but um this photo or this letter is mailed to the des moines police and the letter says this is a cruel joke being played on a mother like those pics were from a case from 79 or 80 that was already solved Mm -hmm. and it refers them to the lead detective on that case detective zalva okay um And this guy, Nelson Zalva, comes forward and he's like, listen, the photos are from these old cases. Like, I interviewed the kids. I couldn't prove any wrongdoing. Allegedly, like, the picture of the three boys comes from a case where uh, a man in the neighborhood, like, lured these boys back to his place and tied them up for a, quote-unquote, escape contest. Yeah. And gave them fireworks as a a reward, which is sketchy and wrong. Mm -hmm. But, like, the kids all said it was consensual. Like, this is what happened. He didn't diddle us. He gave us fireworks, whatever. And no charges were pressed. But... The boy in the single picture with the rocking X tattoo, no one knows who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but these images were like widely circulated on the dark web. So it could very well have been someone who found these photos on the Internet and thought this could be Johnny Gosh and printed them out and mailed them to her mm-hmm. because the photos were printed on regular printer paper and had been edited in MS paint. Yeah. Like they because they had had texts and like arrows added to them in ms paint so like it could have just been someone who found them on the web and thought is this johnny i should let noreen know yeah and that they weren't from someone involved in like the capturing of the images now was Um, the dark web a thing back in 2005 oh yeah it's always been a thing because like since the earliest days of the internet like people who were coders and stuff knew how to like hide things and distribute things. So Mm -hmm. like the dark web has always been a thing. Yeah. Oh, I need to do an episode about the dark web. (laughs) Yeah. If you can find like, um, a computer expert to like explain how it works, that would be amazing. Well, I was going to do one about, um, cicada three, three Oh one, I believe is the name of it. Um, it's like this puzzle that got released on the dark web and only one person has been able to decode it because it like keeps, growing and it keeps coming out like new puzzles that go along with it but apparently whoever solves it gets to work at the company um cicada 3301 but no Uh one knows what cicada is and nobody knows what what the company is they just know that if they solve the puzzle they get to work for them ew yeah um cnn that's creepy um they have this channel called great big story they do a Mm four-part um uh, mini series on it um i'm gonna have to look that up because that's wild you should do an episode on that yeah i love it mm-hmm. um okay so that's kind of where like the leads in the case drop off is in 2006 with this package ma- mailed to noreen mm-hmm. um to date there have been 15 deaths of witnesses who came forward with info or claim that they were involved um so that's like 
I don't know. Like, that's kind of sketchy that all these people have mysteriously disappeared. Um, like, this one guy who had info on the Franklin Credit Union scandal. Yeah. He was taking a, a private plane back from, uh, from a baseball game with his eight-year-old son. And that plane crashed. And oh, they no. found the wreckage of it. But it wasn't like the plane went down and then busted on the ground into pieces. Yeah. The pieces were scattered over a long area, which would indicate that the plane blew up. Mm-hmm. And... That's why they were scat like so. It's there's a lot of sketchy deaths in it. Yeah. Um. And so I'm gonna do a couple stats on uh, on kidnapping, and then I'll get into maybe a more likely solution to the case. Okay. Um. So according to the Center for Missing and Exploited Children, um, annually two hundred thousand children are kidnapped by family Mm -hmm. um which is most kidnapping like stranger kidnapping is very rare yeah however sixty thousand children in the united states are kidnapped by non-family members per year so yeah it's most likely a family member but it's still a huge number amount of people that are kidnapped by strangers yeah that's like 150 a day Mm -hmm. Um, oh shit but then yeah. they said uh, a hundred, only 115 of these are "quote unquote" stereotypical mm-hmm. uh, kidnapping, which means like a stranger grabs a child and throws them into a car. But I don't know. Okay, if 60,000 are kidnapped by non-family members a year, yeah, but only 115 are like these stereotypical scenarios. I don't know what's happening in between. I knew someone who was kidnapped by one of her teachers. Mm-hmm. Like the teacher became the teacher had a child that died and became kind of fixated on her because um, she looked like the child that had died, and the teacher ended up kidnapping her. She got returned, thank God. Yeah. But like maybe that's a scenario in the like non-family kidnapping. Well, I know like even like keeping somebody at a place against their will can be charged as a kidnapping. Like, if you lock somebody in, like, a room at, I don't know, a store, or, like, you lock somebody in a dressing room, you can face kidnapping charges. Okay. So, maybe, yeah, there's a lot of gray areas, but still, that's Mm -hmm. too many kidnappings. Yeah. Um, I saw this one story where this girl, she was on a milk carton, and she was kidnapped by her mother and her stepmother, and she didn't know that that she was kidnapped until she saw the milk carton. She was like, what the fuck? (laughs) I saw, yeah, she was taken to live, like, in Hawaii or something. Yeah. And then, yeah, she saw it at the store and was like, whoa, that's me. Wait, I'm kidnapped? Yeah. Um, Which is so, terrifying. Yeah, a, yeah, I can't even. Um, so, uh, so out of these 150, 115 stereotypical kidnappings a year, 57% are returned to their parents, mm-hmm. which is good. Yeah. But 43% obviously are not. So So um, are they just killed or are they missing? Like They're 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 killed okay. or uh, yeah. So um so it's estimated that one half of a percent of the US population are pedophiles. Mm-hmm. So you think okay, a half a percent, that's pretty small. Um, but that's 16 million people in the United States who are pedophiles, mm-hmm. which is that's a ton. And so someone's like, listen, if we have 16 million U.S. citizens, it's not unlikely that some of those people are the wealthy and powerful because yeah. a poor pedophile has to like 
get their kid get a kid on their own mm-hmm. but a wealthy pedophile can you know do a jeffrey epstein and you just buy them yeah you said one um, half of one percent yes so if your high school class was a thousand people five of those are pedophiles yes yeah that's insane right yeah um which if you think about it like i mean it makes sense to me Mm -hmm. um statistically but yeah so 16 million u.s adults are pedophiles um and i so jesus Okay, so John DeCamp, who was one of the investigators on this case, and he's an author. He wrote a book about um, the Franklin Credit Union scandal. Yeah. He, to discredit him and his claims, he does still believe that there were tunnels and torture chambers below the McMartin Preschool. And if you remember, the McMartin Preschool is that preschool where they got all the kids to say that they were, like, being flushed down the toilet and taken to the White House. Mm -hmm. And there were tunnels under the school and like that was largely disproven that that was like bad interrogation techniques yeah um so um, this main there was one more thing i wanted to add oh. um or ask um the one half of one percent that are pedophiles are they convicted pedophiles or are they just people with pedophilic tendencies people with pedophilic tendencies okay so yeah okay that makes sense think, now yeah um, so yeah, this one guy who's propagated a lot of the like facts and in the investigator, he still believes about the McMartin preschool that that was real, that those torture chambers were happening. And if you look on the internet, I surprisingly found a lot of people on forums with supporting claims saying like, no, that was real, that there were like those kids were being trafficked and abused. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like victims um, speaking out? No, but like just random people on the internet being like, I know these are the facts that support that that did happen. And oh, it's okay. been, you know, disproven by the powers that be. Yeah. Um, so, uh, someone said like, basically if this is, if the Johnny gosh kidnapping did involve a high powered pedophile ring, why would they keep picking up or trying to kidnap boys in this like 20 mile radius? Yeah. Like, wouldn't a high-powered pedophile ring have the ability to move around the country and get kids from diverse locations? Why would they keep cherry-picking? Because, like, two of these attempted, like, one one of the attempted kidnappings happened a quarter mile away from where Johnny was taken. Like, why would you be going that close? Yeah. I mean, it just points um, back to the newspaper being behind it, you know? It, exactly. Which, so that's how I'm going to wrap this up. Yeah. Um. So they're like, it's more likely because of that, that it's going to be somebody who is local or maybe they're a seasonal resident of Des Moines as like these things seem to happen in like the summer, early fall. Um, There seems to be a pattern to that. Mm -hmm. And so is it a snowbird that's like summers in Des Moines and they, you know, they're spending their winters in Phoenix? We don't, we don't know. Yeah. Um, But the paper, because all of these fucking kids worked for the paper. Mm-hmm. Why has this not been investigated, especially when you have Wilbur Milhouse, a convicted pedophile who it turns out was working for the fucking paper? Yeah. Um, so in 2017, a former Des Moines Register paper boy, he says under an anonymous name because he's scared, mm-hmm. he says on a cold case website that after Johnny Gosh was kidnapped, um, 
a man with a mustache tried to get him into a Ford Fairmont. Um, and he escaped. He called the police to say, I was delivering papers. This guy tried to kidnap me. The police never came to talk to him. They never interviewed him. Yeah. Um, and later he saw that mustached man with Wilbur Milhouse. No. And he said that he overheard Wilbur Milhouse saying on multiple occasions that nothing would have happened to Johnny if he had kept his mouth shut. Mm-hmm. Indicating like maybe he molested Johnny and Johnny was like, I got to tell my parents. And he was like, fuck, no, we're going to take you out. Yeah. So like it seems likely that Wilbur Milhouse is obviously involved. He's a pedophile mm-hmm. who has interacted with all of these boys who've gone missing. Yeah. Um, but it seems likely also that he is not alone because uh, he, you know, when Johnny Gosh was taken, there was a guy in the Ford Fairmont, but then the guy between the houses and Wilbur Milhouse is seen with this mustached man who had tried to get this paper boy into the car. But thankfully, the paper boy escaped. Yeah. But why if after Johnny Gosh is taken, why if a kid calls the police and says, Hey, I was a paper boy. I'm a paper boy. I was out of my route. This guy tried to kidnap me. Why would the police not even come interview him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems that seems really sketchy as hell. And then you go, is it just that the police are fucking incompetent idiots and they think, oh, kids are all the time now after Johnny Gosh, kids are reporting things that are like outlandish because like someone said that one of the uh five attempted kidnappings that happened after the johnny gosh and uh the other kid were taken Mm -hmm. like one of them someone was like they weren't really an attempted kidnapping like just an adult spoke to the kid and the kid freaked out and ran to a neighbor's house yeah so like our police at this point because people are overreacting with stranger danger is that why they're not investigating it or are they actually in on it yeah but I, I would think that Wilbur Milhouse is involved. I would think that maybe there are other people involved. And then it's like up to you to determine, does this go all the way to the White House or is that insane? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll never really know. But I mean, it's fishy as hell to have all these people connected and to yeah. have all these corroborating stories come out. Like something is behind this, you know? Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, I just like I would like to at one point either the remains be found and we know what happened to Johnny. Mm-hmm. Um, Noreen did ask Jeff Gannon for a DNA test and he initially said no because um, he was worried like, is my sample going to be taken and used to incriminate me in something else? Um And then he finally apparently did like accept like, okay, I'll get a DNA test if it goes through this independent laboratory and you set it up. Mm -hmm. But Noreen claims that Jeff Gannon said he would only submit the DNA sample if no matter what the results were, Noreen would claim publicly that it wasn't Johnny Gosh. Yeah. And if only if Johnny or Jeff Gannon were made the official spokesperson for the national like exploited children's network. And Noreen's like, no, I'm not going to number one. I'm not going to make you the spokesperson for this organization. I don't have that fucking power. Mm-hmm. And number two, you're telling me that no matter what the results are, I have to say publicly that you are not my son. 
And she's like, I'm not going to accept these terms. Yeah. So Jeff Gannon has never had a DNA test. Um, but I feel like I if think, he was her son, that's not something that someone would do to their mother, you know? Yeah. Unless, like, he's like, I don't want it to come out that I'm Johnny Gosh. Like, you can know, but I need you to publicly say that it's not me. I don't know. Yeah. Damn, I didn't think of like, it like that. Yeah, and people are like, if if Jeff Gannon isn't Johnny Gosh, why doesn't he just do the test? Because this poor grieving mother needs, like, to put her mind at ease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who knows? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe he was just some boy that was kidnapped and like all this is bullshit, you know? Or at least yeah. that's what they want you to think. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Yeah, I don't know. Damn. Yeah. So I think that about covered it. Was there anything else you wanted to add? No, that's it. Um yeah, everyone feel free to go down your own rabbit hole on this one. Yeah, I um have the rest of the day off, so I'm going to be doing <laughs> some hella research. <laughs> um, uh, Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, um, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, everyone should go subscribe to Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality. Um, Also subscribe to Decency with DeLorean because we're all sad and we're all depressed, but like... Sydney's out here putting it out to the universe, making us feel like we're not alone. And I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, you got anything to plug that I haven't already uh, plugged? No. No, that's it. Just everyone follow me on social media, subscribe to my podcast, mm-hmm. give me money. You know, the usual. Yeah. And everyone should love themselves because if you can yeah. listen to us and you can love us, there's no reason that you can't love yourself. That is so true. <laughs> All right, thanks, y'all. I'll see y'all later. I fell in love, fell out of love. We both had options. I played the drums, she rolled the drugs. I rocked the club. We both throw up. We was the band you never heard before. You got that tatter, but you're cracking on your cat. You'll be right back. Your mama ever knew.